Now, Health Matters with Daniel Martin. Welcome into Health Matters on CNA 938, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me, Daniel Martin, on this edition, recognizing the upcoming International Men's Day, which is happening on the 19th of November. In this edition, we're zooming in on certain specific symptoms that a man might feel. Worry that it is something very serious, prostate cancer, and because of that, avoid seeing a doctor and miss the opportunity to treat what it could actually be, a much more treatable condition known as BPH, an enlargement of the prostate. Dr. Anita is on the show, specialist urologist and andrologist, advanced urology associates is where he hails from, based at Mount Elizabeth Medical Center. He's also president of the Society for Men's Health Singapore. Paul, Dr. Tan, welcome back to the show. It's been a while. Good to talk to you again. Hi, Daniel. So obviously, when it comes for, you know, Society of Men's Health, when it comes to International Men's Day, how big a health issue is this? The concept of enlargement of the prostate, prostate health in general. So we're talking about the benign enlargement of the prostate. Mm. So um, um, because uh, every man has a prostate, mm. right? So as we grow older, the prostate enlarges in size and it causes symptoms. So a lot of symptoms that uh, the benign enlargement uh, of the prostate will cause will be what I call lower urinary tract symptoms. Okay. So mainly uh, symptoms that affect the patient's uh, flow of the urine becomes a bit slower. Sometimes they find that um, they need to strain when they pass urine. They have a sensation they are unable to completely empty the bladder mm-hmm. or they're going to the toilet more often. Could it be like, uh, most people just think oh, it's normal, lah. Like, I mean, is that? Some, are you supposed to have some of those symptoms as you age? Let's say. I think because this is so common, yeah. uh, a lot of uh, men as they age, they feel that it's all right. I won't be able to pee as fast as when I was in my teens. Yeah. Well, uh, in a way, it is true. But uh, if you ignore the the symptoms, if the the flow gets really slow, mm. the prostate enlargement actually affects the bladder health, which is what we're more concerned. Because really. The prostate being big itself, in enlarging the size, it doesn't affect itself. It actually affects its neighbours, right. which is the, the bladder. And then should the bladder fail in its function, the patient can end up with renal failure. <gasps> okay, okay. For, uh, before we start talking about that problem, why is it enlarging? So uh, as we age, uh, the enlargement of the prostate is also fueled by uh, hormones. Hormone, hormones, we find that uh, even as the testosterone starts to go down, a patient will find that the prostate starts to enlarge in size. That's what we've been found. Ah. Yeah, and of course, if uh, the the patient's uh, father has an enlarged prostate at an earlier age, we yeah. find that there is also some relation that uh, yeah, he's going to face problems earlier. So, how early can this start showing up for most people? What's what's the average now? Um, typically, we will say uh, men in their fifties to sixties. Probably about fifty percent of men uh, once they hit fifty years old, they find that there's some flow issues, which can be uh, attributed to enlargement on the prostate. Mm. Having said that, we've seen cases uh, where the men actually present much earlier in their 40s. But generally speaking, most of uh, the men that come uh, seeking uh, medical attention will be 50 and above. But by that time, have they been having the problem for a while, usually? Yeah. So it all depends on how long it has been. Yes, we have seen cases uh, in the early 50s, but the symptoms have uh, actually caught on much earlier, but mm. they ignored it. So uh, when we assess, we find that the bladder function has been uh, impaired in a way. Yes, let's talk about that as well. So because of the enlargement, it's affecting its neighbours. And so it's what? It's right next door to the bladder. Yeah, so so our bladder is actually attached to the urethra, which is a tube. Uh So you can imagine uh, the urine coming out from the bladder into this muscular tube, which then leads uh, through the penis and um, results at the opening, what I call the urethral meters, where the urine comes out from. So the prostate wraps around the, the urethra right at the bladder neck. 
So it's actually, it's not just enlarging, it's, it's squeezing on the yes, bladder. Yes, that's right. Oh, and so it, so how does affecting the bladder lead to possible renal failure? Uh, basically, our urinary system is supposed to be a low pressure system such that uh, urine is formed in the kidneys and the kidneys are then attached to the bladder, mm. one on each side by these muscular tubes called the ureters, which is why we always call urologists that we refer to ourselves as uh, plumbers because we, get rid, uh, we actually saw how the water works. Yeah. So the urine comes down to the bladder. The bladder is supposed to uh, stretch to hold the urine at a low pressure. And then when the patient wants to pass urine, he relaxes his uh, sphincter, which is, uh, you can imagine, like a gantry preventing urine from coming out. Mm. That keeps a person uh, continent. Mm. So once he relaxes, the bladder squeezes. So if the prostate is enlarged and causing some obstruction to the flow of the urine, the bladder needs to work harder. Oh. So as it works harder, you may tire out in time. That's the problem. So you cannot assume that you can just live with Ayana. It's a mild inconvenience. It's fine. I'll just spend more at the urinal. It's more than that. It can really yes. lead to a problem. Yeah. So other things other than affecting the bladder, in the early stages, uh, the patient may end up with a recurrent urine tract infection or UTIs, keep getting infections. Uh, some even form bladder stones because of the stasis of the urine. Yeah. Oh, that's painful. Yes. That is a very painful problem to deal with and you don't want to deal with that. So we'll talk about the treatment and management of BPH in just a second. But I'm curious... Is it confused? Do some men fear that they're having early signs of prostate cancer? Because, you know, can it be confused with the BPH signs? Uh, typically, early prostate cancer has no symptoms. Mm. Yeah, because of the fact that uh, prostate cancer occurs in the peripheral zone in general, which is on the outside. Mm. Whereas BPH occurs in the transitional zone, which is actually on the inside. Okay. So you can imagine if it's like, like, a, like a fruit. Mm. So the cancer occurs on the skin, whereas the, the flesh is where the benign part grows. Okay. So if something grows on the outside as it grows, it may not cause any um, urinary symptoms, which okay. is why early prostate cancer uh, may not present with any symptoms. But later prostate cancer might? Yeah, so we are always concerned that uh, it's not being picked up. So mm. we usually tell our patients, uh, if any urinary symptoms, you should see a urologist. At the same time, we will be also doing a blood test called a PSA to screen for prostate cancer. Okay. So that's the prostate cancer. We, we can have a whole show on that one as well. That's very important. But coming back to BPH, so some of those urinary symptoms you might be experiencing, I'm sure a lot of gentlemen listening in might say, hey, that sounds familiar. What do you do? How do you diagnose? So uh, the patient, when he comes to us uh, while waiting in the consult room, usually we pass them this uh, a prostate uh, symptom score, what I call the IPSS, okay. International Prostate Symptom Score, okay. which is a self-administered questionnaire. So the, question, the questionnaire will ask like, well, how, what kind of symptoms do you have? How severe the symptoms are? So it gets the guy thinking. So as he comes in, we'll do an examination. We'll feel the prostate. Um, the, the only way to feel for a prostate, unfortunately, is a digital rectal examination. That means I, I need to put a glove finger with lubricant to feel the prostate. Basically, mm. we can gauge what the size is, feeling for any heart nodules that suggest prostate cancer. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, the point of the matter is that's probably easier than doing an X-ray or something like that, right, yeah. at the end of the day. Uh, and then most of us urologists will also do a bedside ultrasound to have ah. a quick look, uh, roughly, whether uh, what's the size of the prostate because we measure on the ultrasound. Okay. And then we can look at the bladder, whether there are any other symptoms, like, uh, or rather any other signs, for example, bladder stones. And then looking at the kidney to make sure the kidneys are not obstructed. Ah, okay. So there's the questionnaire, there's the possible, the most likely DRE, and an ultrasound to assess the size. Yes. And that's pretty confirmatory. Straight away, once you see the size, you know already. Uh, so size is one thing. So size matters, and but size is not the only thing that matters. Okay. It's actually the, the function of mm. the bladder. So mm. we will do a test, what I call Euroflow test. Mm. Euroflowmetry, where a patient actually pees in a special machine, and then it's, uh, we get instant results. So it's uh, like a like a test to see how well you're you are doing, how well you're passing urine, whether 
there are any signs to show that the, the flow of the urine is blocked. And then we will do an ultrasound after that to oh. see how much urine is left over. So you're getting people peeing in your office? Uh? Uh, yes, we, have, usually, <laughs> we usually have a, a special room, nicely done up room, quiet for the man to do his business. Interesting. Okay, okay. Because that's what you're trying to measure, right? How it's affecting yes. flow, function. That's the point. So here's the thing. It is something that can be treated, BPH. And you should be treating it because like we've heard doctor mention, the serious outcomes long term. But a big fear for a lot of men is when you go in surgically and do something, no more open surgery. So that's great. Yes, There's minimally no. invasive approaches. Yep. We're trying to reduce the size. We can shrink the size. We can laser. We can uh, scrape down. All that kind of thing happen. But the fear, the problem is that it will affect and cause a serious problem of erectile dysfunction. And that is the case, right? There is that legitimate concern because of the location of the procedures? Uh, yes. Basically, our prostate is a sexual organ. Yeah. So it actually produces the 95% of the seminal fluid that a man ejaculates. Mm. So if you do anything to the prostate, uh, for example, surgery where we actually cut the, the prostate, it can result in what we call retrograde ejaculation. That means the, the patient is unable to ejaculate. He mm. can reach orgasm, mm. but the fluid that comes out is either very little mm. or nothing coming out. Mm. So I have patients who find that if they don't ejaculate, they actually find that it's painful. Mm. So, of course, if the man is uh, sexually active, he wants to continue to retain his uh, ability to ejaculate, uh, irregardless of his age, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Then, uh, that, then we have other treatments that can be done, which are the newer methods called the minimally invasive surgical techniques. Yeah. Tell so, us, well, how is that going to help? So, um, what happens is uh, the, this procedure is called uh, prosthetic urethral lift, where we actually put in implants to open up the channel without causing any uh, damage to the tissue. So this is after the reduction in the size of the prostate? Uh, no. So in this case, uh, we don't actually reduce the size of the prostate, but we open up the channel in there. Okay. Because a lot of the surgeries that we do, other than decreasing the, the amount of tissue in the prostate, the aim is to create a channel. Mm -hmm. So usually I tell my patients what, what we're doing for prostate surgery is creating a one-lane road into a four-lane expressway. Mm. You want it to open up mm. so that the urine comes out mm. without any obstruction. So it will not um, affect the bladder function. So that affects that improves the urinary flow. Yes. But won't we also concern about whether it's impacting its neighbours? Um, usually it's fine because uh, when we talk about PUL or prosthetic urethral lift, what we do is we put the implants in the prostate itself. So there are actually three parts of, the, of this implant. Uh, one implant is what we call the capsular tap, which is actually fired through a... It's something like a, a staple. Hmm. So you fire through the prostate, let it cling on the outside of the prostate. Yeah. And this clip will then be attached by uh, a stitch, what I call a proline stitch, which is the material that we use to stitch up wounds. Okay. And then on the inside of the prostate, we actually apply a capsular or rather a urethral end piece. So we're actually compressing the prostate. Ah, so it's like uh, drawing like, drawing a curtain uh, and then put on a curtain tie kind of yes. thing. Yes. Yeah. Like what they do with like... I don't know, gastric surgery or like reducing the stomach size, that kind of so thing. It's, yeah, so basically you're opening up the channel. But because you do not damage the, the tissue itself, mm. it will not affect the patient's ability to ejaculate. Is it going to continue to enlarge though? Uh, yes, you're right. So um, the procedure after doing this, um, we know that prostate continues to grow because mm. uh, it's a live organ. Mm. So we usually tell our patients at the five, five years, there may be recurrence. So we are always open with our patients. We tell them like this kind of treatment, how long it will potentially last and... Uh, as opposed to other treatments. And the, the thing about these newer techniques, uh, basically, we are trying to preserve the sexual function. Correct. At the same time, improve the flow of the urine without causing any problems to the, the bladder. Wow. So we always tell our patients. So, of course, there are some men who are no longer sex sexually active 
And then they say, oh, it's okay, doc, I just want to be able to pee well, sexual function is fine. Then, of course, we will order, uh, offer the other types of treatments. Yeah. Correct. It all depends on the individual and yeah. the health landscape as well. That's right. Fascinating to hear about these latest advancements. Doc, we're going to leave it there. Thanks for your time today. Yep. My guest on the program, Dr. Ronnie Tan, specialist urologist and andrologist, Advanced Urology Associates, is the name of the clinic based at Mount Elizabeth Medical Center. He's also president of the Society for Men's Health Singapore. It's Health Matters. Before making any decisions based on the information in our program, please consult a medical professional.